When I was in first grade, a girl in my class had a birthday party. The week before, she handed me an invitation, or what I thought was an invitation. Unfortunately, the card said, Amanda, I would invite you to my birthday party, but you're too fat. It didn't hurt me at the time. For my six-year-old brain, the idea that someone wouldn't invite me to some buckwild Cinderella party because of my body, a body that I was barely aware of, was incomprehensible. Subconsciously, though, my brain built a barrier between the cool things I could do if I wasn't fat and what I was missing out on because I was. That voice, the one that said I couldn't do certain things because of my body, got exponentially louder over my grade school and middle school years. You might think it was something along the lines of, you can't play sports because you're too fat. But the life of a chubby kid is much more nuanced than that. I didn't even want to play sports, but I felt like I had to, to prove something to people. For the record, I sucked at all of them. Of course, when middle school started, bullying became an issue. I'm not alone in this. Everyone everywhere has a bully, some little shit named Tyler who torments them during 7th grade homeroom. Mine wasn't actually named Tyler, but he knows who he is. Every time I was made fun of for my weight, it didn't just embarrass me. It created yet another one of those barriers in my brain. I wouldn't get made fun of if I wasn't fat. I wouldn't feel too shy to speak out loud in class if I wasn't fat. I would have more friends if I wasn't fat, and Tyler would stop picking on me if I wasn't fat. That last bit was a lie I told myself. My Tyler would pick on anyone for anything. F*** you, Tyler. Over the years, I became increasingly obsessed with the idea of weight loss transformation and the kind of life I could have if I was thin. Doctors told me my body type was a combination of genetics and hormones, but for me, it was an unfinished product, something that had yet to happen. And while I was obsessing, I didn't notice something that did happen, my life. I've explored my talents and interests, traveled to dozens of countries, fallen in love with wonderful and shitty people, built my career, found an amazing network of friends, and solidified my relationship with my incredible family. Incidentally, I did lose a ton of weight at one point, and it just so happened to coincide with one of the unhappiest times in my life. Not because I was thinner, but because shitty life experiences don't actually take your size into consideration. It's hard to comprehend why I was so preoccupied with the idea of transformation, but it's not surprising. I think transformative narratives are really compelling for a lot of people in a lot of contexts, and we've been taught that weight loss transformation specifically will drastically improve our lives. The thing is, based on my own experiences, I feel confident saying that it doesn't. And I'm not the only one. I'm Amanda Richards. Welcome to the podcast. Every episode, the podcast tells a different story of living in a marginalized body in America in 2017. This week, I'm talking to a fat acceptance activist with her own ideas about weight loss transformation and a perspective on transformation that is totally different from my own, but still feels familiar. Here's how the conversation went down. For episode four of the podcast, we're going to be talking to Ariel Woodson, a.k.a. the Bad Fat Broad, a.k.a. Well-Fed Sheeran, and Kiddo True (laughs) on Twitter. (laughs) One of my favorite people on Twitter and in life. Um, And Ariel, what's going on? Nothing much. I'm so glad to be with you. That was a really sweet introduction. I'm actually thrown by how sweet it was. Thank you for all of that. I mean, you can't you can't put something like well-fed Sheeran on Twitter and expect me not to say something about it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just it's just perfect. And also, just for the record, everyone listening at home, I hate Ed Sheeran. So any kind of like play on words with his name, I'm into it. Amazing. Amazing. How do you feel about Ed Sheeran, Ariel? 
I can't stop listening to The Shape of You. But other than that, I'm just like, whatever. Do you think Ed Sheeran would be in love with The Shape of You? Um, do you want the honest answer? Because the honest answer is probably not. I just assume until otherwise proven that the answer is no. Why? Um, years of experience and media training, but we all know that that's not necessarily the truth, but it's hard to get out of your head about that sometimes. Can you, can you kind of like explain what you mean a little bit for people who might not have a point of reference? Sure. Um, society and media teach fat people, especially fat women, especially fat women of color, especially fat black women, that they are often unlovable, especially if they're interested in men. And even though I've learned over time that that's not actually the truth in real life, it's hard to unlearn all those messages, especially when you do have real world experience with feeling unlovable because of things, relationships, or maybe things didn't go well. So that's that's kind of what I mean about just not being able to get out of my head. Well, just before we go any further, Ed Sheeran, if you're listening to this, feel free to contact us and prove us wrong that that's not what you think <laughs> or confirm that it is what you think. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, the reason I wanted to talk to you, Ariel, is because you wrote this amazing piece. And I'm just going to read the headline. And okay. it's a little long, so bear with me. Uh, the piece was called, Why Won't Those Pesky Fat Activists Shut Up and Let Me Enjoy My Exciting and Fun Weight Loss Hero Story in Peace? Um, and I believe you wrote it as a reaction to Gabby Sidibe, an actor who announced she'd gotten weight loss surgery in March. And I guess I'll start by asking you, why did you write it? Like, you, you know, obviously there are a lot of reasons, but just kind of if you could do like an in summation, why did you write that piece? Like besides the weight loss surgery, like why did you feel the need to respond to her choice to have weight loss surgery? It's not necessarily about her choice to have weight loss surgery. That is her personal choice. And you, I 100% am in full support of everybody doing whatever they want to with their body. The problem becomes when they go on this like victory tour set up by their PR company to announce all these great, you know, the great choice that they made to have weight loss surgery and they actually hated their old body and everything's going to be better because they let someone cut their stomach into pieces. Uh, at the beginning of the piece, um, you refer to yourself as a fat black bitch, which I really liked. But <laughs> you said that you like to do that because it makes people uncomfortable. Why do you think calling yourself a fat black bitch makes people uncomfortable? Ownership. Um, I've been called that more times in my life than I can count on both of my hands. But people don't like it when you take it from them. as a, They can't use it as an insult anymore. And it makes people uncomfortable to hear me just say, like, I know what you think of me. I know what you see. And it, I think it kind of takes away the power, the negative power from it when I call myself that. Do you introduce, introduce yourself like that? I do on occasion. Um, my other favorite is I am regular black or <laughs> or yes, I'm fat. Uh, nice to meet you. I've done both of those. Yeah. And you usually get a response like, no, I people love to go. You're not fat. And I'm like, yes, I am. You can't even call me curvy. I am. fat. is the only word that describes my body shape and size. So here you are. You're the fat black bitch writing this piece all about, you know, people sort of like jump to assume that fat people should or want to have weight loss surgery. And you're also somebody that had weight loss surgery. I did. I had weight loss surgery. Um, 
it wasn't back in like the old days where they were still stapling stomachs, but I had a lap band, which I had it in the heyday of the lap band. And we're at the point now we're kind of at the 10 year mark where a lot of lap bands are defective. A lot of people are having revisions, their surgeries. Obviously, lots of surgical procedures come with the risk of complications. In the case of lap bands, one 2011 study found that nearly half of 82 patients suffered major complications. The study was pretty limited. The surgeries were all done in the mid-90s, all at the same facility, and all with the same lap band model. Even then, a majority of patients said they were satisfied with the medical device 12 years after getting it. But there's no denying Ariel's experience. For her, getting the lap band is a decision she regrets. I asked her how the lap band is supposed to work. It's like a series of tubes, like the internet. It, they take a part of it. There's a port down kind of in your belly button area, and they inject saline solution to kind of tighten a piece of tubing around some part of your stomach. And that way you're restricted in what you can eat and the amount of food you can eat. And when did you do this exactly? What year was it? 2007. And at that time, like, you had a totally different perception of the world? Like, did, was fat acceptance, like, on your radar at all? Uh, I was a member of Fat Shanista Live Journal community, and I was a lurker. And I had started to read things on the Internet. I, you know all the big names that are escaping me right now because I totally have stage fright. But <laughs> all of the big names and fat acceptance were writing, and I was reading it, and I was totally well aware of it. But at the end of the day, I was like, this makes sense. And it applies to other people, but I was still having trouble applying it to myself at that time. So right here, we should pause. And I just want to have you explain for anybody that doesn't know what fat acceptance actually is. Okay. Fat acceptance is, I guess, a belief system. We'll go with belief system. Sure, why not? Yeah. A belief system that basically fat people are discriminated against in a variety of ways, not just like plus size clothing that we like to get stuck on, but access to medical care, income inequality, uh, representation in the media, things like that. So fat acceptance is concerned with righting those wrongs, just like any other sort of system of inequality. And the belief that no matter what you choose or what size you are, you have the right to claim yourself as happy? Yes, number one. That is the number one thing, which is why I kind of like fat positivity rather than fat acceptance, because I don't want to just be accepted. I want to be able to thrive in society. Well, that's sort of like an interesting aside as well. So we have fat acceptance, you're saying fat positivity, and then what probably most of our listeners know about is body positivity. So a little explainer about the difference between let's say fat positivity and body positivity. So body positivity is, I won't say worthless because I understand that a lot of people take a lot of meaning from it, but body positivity does not do a good job of centering those who are more oppressed in terms of like when we talk about bodies and it's not just about weight. It's also about things like race and gender and ability or disability. Um, But body positivity is focused on the feel good, fuzzy feelings and making sure, you know, that everybody feels good, which is fine. That's important. But it doesn't address the actual like systemic issues that people who are marginalized face. Let's talk about your decision to have surgery. So you were lurking in like fat positive spaces, but you weren't really participating and you certainly weren't there mentally like for yourself. Um, And so what was sort of the, you know, the reason that you did it. I mean, 
it's a big decision. And what was going through your mind at the time? There was this very ambiguous fear that, you know, was kind of placed in me by doctors. Like, you need to lose weight, dot, 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 or else. Um, or else what? I who knows? I maybe might get diabetes one day. I'm, I mean, I'm certainly going to die. We're all going to die. Um, there, someone mentioned you might not be able to have children. Keep in mind, I, this was 10 years ago. I was 22. And that, not that there aren't people who don't have children, at, you know, 22 or whatever, but it was definitely not on the radar for me. I didn't, I, I hadn't even had sex. So, um, but you know, you might not be able to have children or you might get diabetes or all of these vague ghosts that might come along in the future. I think it's interesting that you said that, like, obviously your doctors probably know whether or not you were sexually active at 22. And so I'm assuming that you were like, no, I'm not. And they were still like, but the children that you might have one day. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you feel like that that sort of alternative, especially now, because as you mentioned before, they're not just like stapling up people's stomachs. There's like a quote unquote safer way to do it um, that's more appealing, less expensive. Do you feel like doctors recommend it a lot to fat people? Uh, doctors recommend it so much. I'm at the point now where other than my primary care physician, I cannot go to the doctor without having it recommended to me. And I have it recommended by all types of doctors, doctors who, you know, don't necessarily deal with the inside people like dermatologists. And um, what was the other one that it happened? So dermatologist said it and a doctor, I went ear, nose and throat doctor. And an ENT told you to have weight loss surgery. Yep. And I went to the emergency room and they were like, you should have weight loss surgery. And I'm like, are you going to fix me now or not? This whole idea of a fat person having weight loss surgery um, is the promise of transformation. It's kind of like what you wrote. Not kind of. It is what you wrote about in this piece I referenced in the beginning. Um, And the promise of once you do this. You will lose weight. Your life will change completely. You'll find love. You'll find happiness. You'll find friends. You'll find good times and money. You'll find clothes that fit you, right? And then that doesn't always happen. And it didn't happen for you. So can you tell us what what did happen? So in in the 10 years I've had surgery, I've lost about 30 pounds total and I've gained it back. Um, So I'm basically at my starting weight now. That's number one. Didn't lose any weight. I had my gallbladder removed, which is apparently a common side effect or complication from having lap band surgery. Um, and without being too graphic, it messes with a lot of things as far as eating and processing things after you eat. And you mm-hmm. can take it from there kind of in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my lap band itself is defective. I am actually... I I need to have it removed. It no longer functions at all. The port where they inject the saline solution has completely flipped upside down. So there's just this random piece of plastic in my body. It has changed my quality of life. Um, Eating is a chore. Everything's a chore. Like I am deficient in vitamins and it does not, you know, it's not about whether I'm eating the right or wrong things. It's that I can't eat enough of whatever to get everything that I need from food. So I'm taking, you know, multivitamins and all of that garbage. And it just, it's the biggest f***ing hassle. (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, and it's also like the way you describe it, it's like, you know, for a total decade-long weight loss of 30 pounds, this promise of transformation that I talked about before, I mean, 30 pounds, you know, it's 30 pounds. It's not It's not 150 pounds. It's not 200 pounds. It's 30 pounds and a bunch of really gruesome-sounding fucking health problems that came as a result. And I wonder, like, because it, I didn't realize that it was such a long time, like that it had been a decade, mm-hmm. but I wonder, like, at what point during those 10 years were you like, this is fucking I made a bad decision. I was advised to have a bad, like I was advised poorly by medical professionals and I wish I hadn't done this. I think about two years in after two really good years of really, you know, trying to strict to the very restrictive diet that they suggest you go on afterwards and, you know, working out still probably not as much as they would have liked, but a lot for me, for someone who hadn't always, um, Two years in and no results. And I was like, this is pretty bogus. <laughs> what kind of results? Let's talk about results. What kind of results is it, does it promise? So the lap band is supposed to promise results in somewhere, you know, 100 pound plus weight loss. Because in theory, it's only supposed to be suggested for the most dire cases where, you know, Basically, they defined me as being super, super morbidly obese. And I was, I wanted a cape. And my mom said that that wasn't funny. <laughs> but um, it's supposed to grant upward, upwards of 100 pounds. And obviously, that is not what happened for me. There are a lot of statistics flying around about lap band surgery. And some of them actually show it to be effective. One study published in the Annals of Surgery, a medical journal, showed patients losing nearly half of what the industry calls excess weight, 15 years after surgery. But Ariel's right. Some people, including herself, have serious complications, which is part of why lap band surgery has fallen out of favor compared to other weight loss procedures in recent years. Did they prescribe, like, a psych, like, like a therapist when you do this shit? They do have you take a psych uh, evaluation before you get surgery. And what about after? Is it like part of the treatment? Like No, post- of course not. <laughs> What's mental health? Did you lose weight? <laughs> I personally don't think that I was a good candidate um, for a variety of reasons. I don't think that I had. And obviously, this is going off the assumption that I buy into what the doctor is saying. So keep that in mind when I'm saying this. I didn't have that much weight to lose um, at the time. And... It's such a slow process. People expect this miracle overnight transformation. They don't explain that to you. They kind of usually wait until afterwards where it's it's a very slow process, even though you've restricted your eating completely. Okay. So then you're in two years, you're, you're, you're two years and you've realized that like, this isn't, this has very little to no results. Um, and you're frustrated at this point. Yes. And, Let's go back to you lurking in fat positive spaces. Was it during that time that you started actively engaging in those spaces oh, for support? No, no. Uh, I waited. How long did I wait? I probably waited another three years from the two year mark to even kind of, you know, say anything anywhere. And I mean, so you were just going it alone at that time, like just thinking to yourself, like, this is just me on an island, you know, like. <laughs> making it or wishing I hadn't made a decision that I made um and but not really like coming to terms with 
why the whole idea of the transformation was problematic in the first place? That's a really confusing question, but I think you might follow No, that. I understand. I think mm-hmm. part of my resistance at that time was um, a lot of the fat, a lot of the fat talking that was going on was being done by white women. And there was a disconnect for me still at that point because it felt very much like, okay, maybe this isn't, you know, for me because none of the people that are talking look like me. And I think that was what my resistance was. Ariel talked about how culturally there's a stereotype that women of color often encounter, that black women are more accepted for having larger bodies. That's not true, of course, but there is internal pressure from her community to be fat in the quote-unquote right places. Basically having a small waist but a large behind and big a big chest. And when you're not fat in that type of way or when you don't have, you know, those areas aren't large, then it's a problem over there. So you're getting basically you don't fit into white beauty standards, but then you also still don't fit into ethnic beauty standards. So that's that's like the biggest problem or at least the biggest problem for me in my head was at the time that I didn't really fit in anywhere. Um, Then there's like issues of representation. You don't ever see people of color, fat people of color represented meaningfully in any positive way. And that's a thing that will really get to you. That's a pressure. Those are like the two biggest ones that come to me. So with regards to Gabby Sidibe and Ashley Nell Tipton, uh, they have weight loss surgery. It sends a certain message about being fat and being a person of color. Um, and what is that message? Like what kind of narrative are they creating by making that decision? Acknowledging that, of course, it is their decision. Right. But what sort of idea does that perpetuate? For you. Well, you know what? The issue is not so it's not inherently the choice. Like, again, like we said, you can do whatever you want. The problem is afterwards when they, you know, go on the whole thing about like, I didn't actually love myself and I had to do this and I'm going to be a much better me now. So it just it sends a really negative message anytime that because there was a model that had weight loss surgery, too. And of course, she went on the whole, you know, I'm happier now. And I used to secretly hate myself. And it's just you see, first and foremost, fat women of color doing that. And it's really disappointing because I'm, I'm trying to think about the people that have had weight loss surgery. And the first three people that come to mind, all fat women of color. It's interesting, like uh, Chrissy Metz, the actor from This Is Us, and mm-hmm. Tess Holliday, who's a plus-size model. They're both white, and they are arguably bigger or as big as these women, and they haven't had weight loss surgery. Again, their choice to do or not do. But it's interesting that the three public figures that we can think of that have done this are women of color. Well, I think that there are, whether we like to acknowledge it or not, there are different expectations and and different rewards. Fat white women get a lot of um, latitude that fat women of color don't get. And we don't like to say that, but it's true. What kind of latitude? Um, The privilege of being... I won't say, well, privilege is the wrong word here, but it is somehow more okay, at least publicly, because I know that sometimes people have difficulty at home or in their personal life. But basically, you're dealing with the combined effects of racism 
and, you know, fat phobia or fat antagonism. And white women don't have to deal with that. That's the easiest way to explain it. What does kind of like an ideal fat person narrative look like without weight loss surgery, without the transformation? Like, what do you want to see from influencers, from celebrities, from people that like fat women, fat men, fat everyone could look up to? In an ideal world where we're not battling against anything, it would literally be the right to just exist however you want to be it. You go to the gym every week. That's great. You don't do anything. You sit and play video games all week. That's fine, too. Like, just the right to exist as is, however you want to, without criticism. But I know that's not where we're at right now. So I guess what we need right now, the fat positive hero we deserve and need, would be someone who is publicly vocal about being fat and how it is not a hindrance for their life without the added, you know, I'm healthy and I'm exercising. It doesn't matter. Just... I am fat and I am okay and I am here. That's what we need. That's what we deserve. Do you feel like that's what you're doing though with with your podcast and all of the sort of like influence you have on social media? I I, I would like to think that I'm doing that in my own tiny little space. And I I, I think my thing is is that I want someone glamorous to do it. And I don't think of myself as glamorous at all. Because mm-hmm. That's what people respond to. There's a reason why people respond to plus size bloggers and maybe not fat positive activists because fashion blogging is glamorous and activism isn't sometimes. And that's not a diss on bloggers at all. They serve an important an important need and, and occupy an important space. But it's we can't ever pretend that those two things are the same. Right. And that's true. And and also would it would it be a, a fat person of color? You know, a glamorous, visible, famous fat person of color. I unapologetic. In my my heart of hearts, that's what I want. That Mm -hmm. yeah, you know what? That's what I want because I feel like fat women of color do a lot of the legwork, but don't necessarily get the recognition. So I would love to have a glamorous fat fat person of color be celebrated. Who doesn't have a before body and an after body? No transformation involved. Just the body they have. Hashtag fat and thriving. (laughs) No no hashtag transformation Tuesday. None of that. (laughs) Hashtag beach body. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to lie. Every once in a while, I look at those tags on Instagram just to like see what's going on to see if they like sort of like, uh, I don't know, like if the scene changes because I feel like. The more time that goes by, the more people like get hip to this whole idea that like it's all bullshit. You know what I mean? But eh, Mm -hmm. not fast enough. Unfortunately, not fast enough, especially on Instagram. Everybody's having Transformation Tuesday. It is forever Transformation Tuesday on Instagram. (laughs) There are no other days of the week on Instagram. No, no. Women Crush Wednesday, that's Transformation Tuesday. Despite all of our reservations about weight loss in our personal lives, it's pretty clear that Ariel and I both subscribe to a let the people live kind of mentality. Personally, I try not to judge people's choices. Be fat, be thin, exercise, don't exercise, eat salad, eat pizza. The important thing is that you're choosing what makes you happy in the moment right now, not wishing for a transformation that might never come. And if it does, might not be what you expected. But it's more than that. As Ariel mentioned, navigating discrimination and pressure to look a certain way isn't just about being fat or thin. It's about race, it's about privilege, it's about platform, and so much more. 
If you're someone who's figured out how to transcend the toxic transformation narrative, why not make some space for other people to do the same? Like Ariel said, what we need right now, the fat positive hero we deserve and need, would be someone who is publicly vocal about being fat and how it is not a hindrance for their life without the added, you know, I'm healthy and I'm exercising. It doesn't matter. Just, I'm fat and I'm okay and I'm here. That's what we need and that's what we deserve. The truth is, whether you struggle with your weight, accept yourself at the size you are, or find you're somewhere in between, the idea of transformation is pretty powerful. For Ariel, it was enough to convince her to make a major medical decision, one that could affect her for the rest of her life. For me, it was powerful enough to preoccupy me for literal decades. If I add it all up, I spent about 19 years worrying about it, from that Cinderella party I was formally not invited to when I was six, to a decision I made at 25 to live my life independently of other people's real or imagined criticisms of my appearance, and more importantly, my own. From then until now, I've been slowly but surely trying to disengage from all of those feelings, to rid myself of Tyler's, both literal and figurative. The truth is, though, the idea of transformation hasn't completely lost its appeal. There's still a small part of me that sometimes thinks, wow, Amanda, imagine how great and magical and glamorous your life would be if you were a size two. In those moments, I have to stop and remind myself that my life is all of those things. And it got that way despite the fact that I haven't been a size two since, like, infancy. That voice, the one that says my life should suck, is still there. And maybe in some ways it will always be there. But as long as we keep telling our anti-transformation transformation stories, at least it'll be a little quieter. I want to thank Ariel Woodson, the bad fat broad, for being on the show. I also want to thank my co-editor, Pierre Bienname, my producer, Anna Parsons, and our badass intern, Maddie Sims, who transcribed the first half of this season's interviews and who we will sorely miss. Join us next time. Actually, you know what? I feel like fat acceptance could really use Beyonce to like, kind of get fat. You know what yes. I mean? <laughs> like, It'd be really helpful to us if you could just get fat, Beyonce. That'd be awesome. I will also take Rihanna. <laughs> <laughs>